0: The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information on our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. So as I said a few minutes ago, this, this morning marks the beginning of the season of Advent for us as a church. Uh, each year we take some time and we set aside to prepare um, I feel as if from the time frame of, of about mid-November on until the end of the year, it's, it's a very busy season. There's, first of all, my very favorite holiday, which we just experienced, which is Thanksgiving. Um, I love it. There's family, there's food, there's football. You have the three F's, and it's just a great day. Uh, for others, there's you know, the baking that goes into Thanksgiving and the, the smoking of the turkey that happens for Thanksgiving. Um, if you have kids... And probably the week before Thanksgiving is the time of what was it that we were supposed to bring that we have not yet purchased. Um, it's just that, that busy season. Immediately after Thanksgiving, though, it's the only, and I'll say it again, the only official time that is acceptable to step into the Christmas season. For all of you who came way too early and began Christmas way before Thanksgiving, Just so you know, the only acceptable time is the day after Thanksgiving, and it's marked by Black Friday. That is the first day that is acceptable for you to put up your Christmas trees and your your Christmas lights. Do you remember what Black Friday used to be like? I remember uh, whenever Black Friday was kind of first a thing. It used to be on Friday, um, and it used to also be black in the fact that it started at midnight. Uh, Now, Black Friday is an all-day event, first of all. Um, as well as it's a Thanksgiving event now uh, to where it begins usually Thursday morning and it will extend all the way through until usually uh, Monday night after Cyber Monday. It's the entire weekend now. Uh, it's no longer just considered Black Friday. It is a large event now of, of multiple days. Um, if, if you rushed the crowds two days ago, well done. If you're slightly sleep deprived, I'm glad you're here. Um, from Black Friday until Christmas time, though, is, is kind of this preparation stage for Christmas morning. It's again the time of meals and the time of gathering together. You can toss in some buying and some wrapping of gifts. Christmas morning comes, and the presents are all unwrapped, and the decorations are then placed back into the boxes and stored in the garage or the attic. We work and we stress so much for that event that usually lasts a very short period of time. Have you ever experienced the, the post-Christmas, the, the post-Christmas blues, if you will? We put all of our efforts into Christmas morning, and it happens, and typically about an hour after the event of the morning, for lots of people, there's just this lull. There's this... we, we anticipated so much, we put so much work and effort into this, and it has come and it has gone, and now there's just this blue almost. Our bodies have a a physical reaction to what happens after Christmas. What is it about having so much anticipation for an event? Whenever we feel most excited for it, we then experience this low within us. I was watching a documentary the other day, a documentary about sneakers, about shoes. I know it's weird. Stick with me for just a second. So this documentary is talking about sneakers. Um, There's a culture of sneakers, of individuals known as sneakerheads who spend a lot of money on shoes that are athletic sneakers. Um, The best way you can kind of understand it, baseball cards, if you remember what baseball cards used to be. No longer with base- baseball cards, but imagine it with shoes now. So, I was watching this documentary on sneakers and sneakerheads, and they're holding these conventions here where they buy and they sell these different shoes. Uh, the documentary, though, does this small segment in the midst of the sneaker discussion with a guy who has his own YouTube channel. And so, his whole channel uh, on YouTube is built around him buying sneakers and unboxing them. So his full-time job is he buys sneakers and unboxes them in front of a video camera. He finds, of course, some of the rarest and the most expensive and the newest of sneakers, but he records himself literally opening up the box and moving that paper out of the way and grabbing the shoe and spinning it all around and smelling the shoe and telling you all about the shoe. This guy gets paid money through ad revenue to open shoe boxes. What a world we live in. Some of you might be regretting your life choices right now if you knew that was an option. Where was the guidance counselor whenever you were going through and they said, "Hey, we suggest you go and open shoe boxes in front of an audience." As interesting as that is though, There's something even more interesting. The guy has a massive audience on YouTube. There's a science here that's drawing people to watch him on YouTube. So in this documentary, they begin to discuss the chemical reaction that our body actually experiences with anticipation. So I would assume just not knowing, that the highest release of the chemicals, the happy chemicals, if you will, uh, which gives us this, this feeling of happiness, that the highest release would occur either right after we've opened something or even as we are opening it. However, our body enjoys the moment right before the wrapping paper comes off and the box is opened. The greatest amount of these happy chemicals are released before the wrapping paper comes off and the box is actually opened. As the YouTuber would attest, it doesn't even have to be you who does the opening. By being a part of this event, you as the audience watching somebody receive the same rush of chemicals that would make you happy. You can receive the same happiness without having to spend a single dollar. Possibly gives light to the term that it's better to give than to receive. Well, this documentary, the, the science behind that would say, that, yeah, that's absolutely true. As we look towards Advent these next few weeks, we are in anticipation of what is to come. We are in anticipation of the return of Christ. I fear that the distance of time between us today and the birth of our Savior has made us numb. In many cases, to his return. Today, are we still in anticipation of the return of Christ for his bride? The season of Advent is our time to take a step back in the most busy season for most of us and to look back at the coming of Christ and to look forward to his return. Each week, we will focus upon a single word to help us focus on this season. This morning, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be looking towards the word of hope. Praise God that when our anticipation is fulfilled, we are not left with boxes or wrapping paper and a lull, but instead complete fulfillment in our Savior. So my my wife Wendy and I, we we started a a tradition um, a couple of years ago. So every other year, uh, we take a vacation with just the two of us. We love our kids, but we value our time together as a couple and our marriage. Uh, so we take these trips every other year so that we can plan as well as we can pay for them. In 2018 was our 10-year anniversary as a couple. So it was also the year for her and I to take our Just Us trip. There were a number of k- locations that we tossed out. Um, and how we do this is kind of just to get a brainstorming session of any place, um, in the United States that we can want to go, that we'd want to see things that we would like to do, and then we narrow it down. Um, so what we ultimately decided on in this year of 2018 was New York City. I had never been to New York City. Uh, my wife, Wendy, had gone whenever she was younger, but didn't remember a lot of it. And so uh, we decided this will be our, our Just Us vacation. So we took a full week off, and we explored the wonders of New York City. Uh, We did all of the main tourist attractions of New York City. We walked a ton through the city. It was fantastic. We saw the 9-11 Memorial. We saw the Statue of Liberty. We went to the Today Show. We even got on national television. I have a recording at my house of me in the background waving at the camera. It was fun. My kids enjoyed it. They knew that we were going to be at the Today Show, and there's mom and dad on national TV. Uh, We took the subway. We ate at Cat's Deli. And we even took a a stroll through Chinatown on accident. It was fantastic. It was a fantastic trip. We thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, In my life, I personally have never experienced a city like New York City. So I grew up in a small town, whenever I say small town, farming community, about 2,000 people. Moved to Kansas City, to Dallas, and now in San Antonio. This has been my experience of big cities. New York is different than any other city I have ever been into. Whenever it says it's a city that doesn't sleep, it's absolutely true. In fact, we can attest to it. We decided to upgrade our hotel room to make sure we had the true view of Times Square. Sounds like a great idea. Until you realize Times Square actually does not sleep, which can make it difficult for you to try and actually sleep. Never once did I look outside of that window, no matter what time of day it was, and the Times Square was not just absolutely full of people. The streets are constantly full of cars and of bikes. The sidewalks are not just there to meet city code, but they're actually utilized by people, by tourists and locals alike. The quick pace of the city is all around you. Yet, in the midst of that constant traffic and mass of people, stands a sculpture at the corner of West 53rd and 7th for not-so-small letters, and bright red. Spell this word, hope. The sculpture was actually created by a guy named Robert Indiana. Uh, It actually has a sister sculpture which came first, and it is Love, L-O-V-E. Love is in New York City as well, just a couple of blocks north towards Central Park. The Love sculpture didn't actually begin as a sculpture, though. It was instead created as a Christmas card in 1964. The original sculpture came after that in 1970. The Love sculpture can can be found around the world as replicas. Um, There's even a version right here in our own city. So if you ever go to the McNay Art Museum, uh, there is a replica of the Love sculpture. Hope, its sister sculpture, was created in 2008. It's truly amazing to see the scale of this sculpture amidst the towering skyline of New York City. If you were to place this sculpture in most cities in the same uh, size that it is, it would be very hard to miss. Yet, in the hustle and the bustle of New York City, it can almost blend in. Here stands these giant red letters, and most people can seem to walk right past them without even blinking an eye. It's as if hope seems to have been forgotten. It causes me to wonder if the thousands of people that pass that sculpture every single day have any hope. And if so, what is their hope truly in? Church, we have many things in which we can hope. This morning, though, let's not forget our, to, that we can also walk right past the bright red letters of hope. Will you join me this morning in turning your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10? We'll be in the book of Hebrews this morning. Uh, And we'll be focusing on verses 19 through 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. I'm going to go ahead and read them. Just follow along with me. It says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, This morning, we will look at our hope fulfilled, our faithful hope, and our future hope. Verses 19 through 22 do a fantastic job of covering thousands of years of Jewish history in a few short verses. These verses mention the holy places, the curtain, the sacrificial system, cleanliness, and even the high priest. We will look at each of these, but before we go into the details of what the author is pointing towards, I don't want to miss the main point. He begins first with our confidence. Our confidence. Our confidence doesn't reside in us or in anything we have done. Praise God. It's the whole point of the gospel. What I have done is nothing, and what Christ has done is everything. Yet, what I receive is everything. There's nothing that I can do to earn my way into heaven or to secure my own salvation. As we are about to see, it is through our hope fulfilled that we may have confidence. We have confidence, it says, by the blood of Jesus, through his flesh, in verse 20. You see, the story of our Bible is a continuous story of Christ. I heard it once that the Old Testament is like a dimly lit room. You can find your way around, and everything is there, but you're missing the brightness of the bulb. The New Testament is that if as Christ comes in, he illuminates everything that was already there. In the Jewish tradition, there was a holy place, a, a physical location that was off limits to most. It was separated by this large curtain. and It was behind this curtain that atonement, a covering of sin, would be made. This was accomplished with death and with blood. This would not have been a once and for all Covering, her though. The hope of fulfillment was fleeting. It was a cyclical hope. Our text shows that our hope was fulfilled once and for all by the flesh and the blood of Christ Himself. Our high priest is eternal. No longer will the priest enter behind the curtain to atone for sin. The curtain has been torn. The atonement. For my sin and for yours has been paid in full. It was fulfilled by our hope. The Jewish people here had been hoping for a Messiah. They'd been hoping for one that would come and fulfill what was promised. They'd been hoping for one that would be final. They were in a season of waiting for the Christ to come. Praise be to God he did. It might not have been how they were expecting, but the lowly babe came and gave his life for mine and for yours. Our hope came down from heaven and placed his own body upon the altar to fulfill what was required. We now wait in anticipation for our hope to return and once again fulfill what has been promised. Our hope has fulfilled Next, we look to our faithful hope. The author has now set up what Christ has accomplished. He transitions, though, here in verse 23 and tells us to hold fast to this confession of hope without wavering. I love the language here of holding fast. We sing a song entitled, He Will Hold Me Fast. The song was written as a response in the late 1800s. I've always enjoyed this song. I enjoy the song now more, knowing the history of it. It's just who I am. If I understand the history a little bit better, I understand the song a little bit better, and I enjoy it just myself a little bit better. So this one was written in the late 1800s. There were few songs in that day within the church that were sung that sang specifically about assurance of salvation. The story goes that a young man had recently become a Christian. And he was afraid. He was afraid that he would not be able to hold out until the return of Christ. Upon hearing this, there was an evangelist, and he sends a letter to his friend, Ada Habershon, who is a ham writer. It was out of this that her receiving the letter, that she ends up writing and penning the first two verses of the song, He Will Hold Me Fast. The song was later found uh, by a worship pastor in Washington, D.C., um, I want to say 2003, 2004. And he then finds this song um, through a congregation member who knew that he was going through a season of struggle, who simply handed him the lyrics to He Will Hold Me Fast. The worship pastor reads the first two verses and uh, is enamored by them and decides to then write the third verse to it, as well as put it to some new music. Our text here asks us to hold fast the confession of hope. It goes one step further, though, and asks us to do this without wavering. With no reservation, we are to hold fast to this confession of hope. Without wavering, we are to hold fast to what Christ has accomplished on the cross. As one of your pastors, I want you to know this, and I want you to hear this clearly. Everyone look at me just for a second. I, as a pastor, often struggle with my own assurance of my own salvation. It's often whenever I face my own sin that there's a wavering of my confession of hope. It's in these moments whenever I place my own security of my own salvation Within my own hands. As it turns out, I didn't do anything to earn my salvation. And I can't do anything to secure it either. Praise God. In moments of my own doubts, when I am faced with my own sin, may I and you be reminded of the end of verse 23. For he who promised is faithful. For he who promised is faithful. What an incredible truth of the gospel. Our hope has fulfilled, and our hope is faithful. This reminds me of the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea is a fantastic uh, book. We often think of it uh, just based upon the first three chapters. There's a whole lot more than this. Uh, The first three chapters, though, of the book of Hosea are, are the story of us, honestly. So God, in the book of Hosea, speaks to Hosea, and he tells him to go marry a harlot. Hosea obeys, and it turns, he, he turns and he finds a woman named Gomer. In my opinion, the most unfortunate name of a woman throughout the entire Bible, of Gomer. So as it turns out, the woman behaves, though, as a harlot, and she ends up leaving Hosea after he has married her. God again speaks to Hosea and tells him to go and redeem Gomer. Hosea again obeys. And in chapter 3, God relates this story and says that the children of Israel are like Gomer. They're continually unfaithful. And yet, God is faithful. Praise God that he is so faithful amidst our unfaithfulness. Our hope is faithful. So this morning we looked at our hope being fulfilled as well as our hope being faithful. This should then give us confidence that God will continue to fulfill and continue to be faithful. What do we do in the midst of this, though? Has God simply left us with our hope and ours alone? What does it look like to completely trust that God has fulfilled and will again, and completely trust that God has been faithful and will continue to be so. What does our hope future look like? I believe that God has not left us to sit here and to twiddle our thumbs until He returns. He's given us a few very important things to do. The first we have already discussed in this text, it's to hold fast. And the midst of this, in the midst of this season of Advent, one of the things that the text asks us to do is to hold fast to the confession of hope. Hold fast to what Christ has accomplished for us. Let's continue on. The next thing, though, that God has left for us to do are not individual. They are corporate. Until this point, we've probably been looking inward at our own hope. Advent is is a tremendous time, but I feel like we can often individualize the Advent season. Yes, you are in the season of waiting, but we are in the season of waiting. This text drives this point home by bringing our eyes upward and around. If you will, read verse 24 and 25 with me. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. So this text tells us to do a couple of things. It even tells us here how to do them. While we're in the season of Advent, stir up one another and encourage one another. This is what we are to be doing in the midst of the Advent season. We're stirring up one another to love and to good works. You see, I find that my hope is often wavering. Often my eyes get drawn from the future coming of Christ, and they're brought low to the future of me in the next 15 minutes. There's an incredible story in the book of Exodus that I think captures this so well visually. I'm going to read for you from Exodus uh, chapter 17, and I'll begin in verse 9. It says this. So, Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men, and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him, and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. So, what happens when Moses grows tired of holding his hands up? There's a brother to his right and a brother to his left that grab his hands and hold them up for him. Church, our text in Hebrews says the same thing. What do you do when your hope grows weary? Allow the brother or the sister to the left and to your right, to hold up your hope. We should be stirring one another to love and to good works. Our outward actions declare to our own hearts that God has fulfilled our hope, that God is faithful, and our hope is future. We're to encourage one another. This text isn't only written to the one whose hope is wavering, but also to the one standing next to someone with a wavering hope. That should hit everyone in here today. Whether your hope is wavering or the person's next to you's hope is wavering, the text says the same thing. Don't neglect meeting together. It becomes incredibly difficult to know whether the person next to you is in a season of struggle when you haven't seen them. Us gathering here together as the church, is much more than us simply coming together and singing, proclaiming to God who He is and what He has done, as well as much more than sitting underneath the Word of God. As we gather, there's also the community piece of the church. It's an opportunity for us to check in with each other. This is where it becomes often very difficult The problem with most of us is that we are uncomfortable to let others in. I understand that completely. However, that isn't a good enough reason. Your being uncomfortable with letting people in isn't reason enough for you to neglect your own struggles and deny the errands and the hers that are around you and care for you and desire to climb to the top of the mountain with you and sit there holding your arms when you cannot. So how do you do this? Practically, what does this look like? At Stone Oak, we have something that we call our discipleship pathway. It's where we move from what we call our big gatherings, which is what we're doing right now, a Sunday morning, to our community groups, to even smaller, more intimate gatherings we have called para-groups. Each of these transitions, from big to little, takes takes you to a deeper level of being known, as well as knowing others. If you aren't currently in a community group, please join one, not only for your sake, but for the sake of those that you join with as well. As we're now waiting in this season of Advent, let us not neglect gathering together. We're all waiting for the return of Christ. When it seems like it is a distant reality, that will never come. May you have brothers and sisters around you to remind you that our hope has been filled already and will again. May they remind you that our hope is faithful and will continue to be so. May we be a people gathered together in the season of Advent to proclaim to one another in whom we have hope. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, our hope, Lord, as we are in the season of Advent, Father, we confess that it is often so easy to miss. Father, it is so easy to to miss that you have already sent your Son. It is so easy to, to miss the fact that the Christ has come. Father, as we are in the season of Adam, may we be reminded of Christ. Father, of the God who took on flesh. Father, who emptied himself to be like us. Father, so that we may have a high priest who knows and understands, who can sympathize with us in our weakness. Father, we thank you for sending Christ in the way that you did. Father, during this season, may we be reminded of Christ. Father, may we also look forward. May we look forward, Lord, to the return of Christ. That it's not a distant reality, Father, but Father, that we have an understanding that it can be any moment. Father, I pray that we would live our lives in a way that would be reflecting of this. Father, that our theology of our understanding of the return of Christ, Father, would work out in our hands and our feet Father, that we would be a people constantly expecting you to return. Father, as we're in this, this season of waiting, that we not neglect, Father, our brothers and our sisters around us, we are so prone to do, Father, our hope will waver. May we with boldness, Father, declare that my hope is wavering. And Father, may there be those around us who can hold our hands. Father, as we are your people, Father, we are a collective group eagerly anticipating for the return of your son. Father, we boldly proclaim in the season of Advent and here this morning. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Father, we re- we desire, Lord, for you to make all things new. Father, I thank you for the season, as it gives us a break to pause, Father, and to reflect. Father, we are grateful, as in your Son's name that we pray.